Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is my delight to come for you, to you today. Um, this is just Antoine. I'm with Let's Get Growing, man. We are excited about what God is doing. Thank God for men's fraternity. We're doing um, the 30, 33, the series. Um, we've been going through it. We had day 20. Praise God. And God is just faithful. He's faithful. He's just, he's kind. He's just splendid in everything that he does. And I'm going to invite you to uh, know him. <laughs> if you don't know him in the pardon of your sins, please ask Jesus to come into your life. And when he does, he transforms it. I mean, he just he just takes it and 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 does a work in your life and makes you a better person in in general. And so um, I just thank God for coming in, into my life and and uh, counting me worthy enough to receive Him. And it's just a blessing, man. It's a blessing to to know Him, whom to know is life eternal. And so we're excited about what God is doing. We're excited about um, this lesson today and talking about uh, man and his work and and um, getting more insight on how we can maximize in what we do. That's what it's all about. You know, we want to get what God intended us for us to get on this side of heaven. I don't know about you, but that's my my goal. Praise God is to get all that God has for me on this side of heaven. You know, uh, David said this. He said, I would have fainted, except I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for you because you're tuned in. I don't care what time that you've tuned in. But you've tuned in and you are allowing God to speak to your heart concerning these issues. And so um, let's just get growing. Let's let's get growing. Let's start implementing these things so that um, we can be better. Praise God. Praise God. And so we can influence not only ourselves, but our families, um, our, our communities. I know I keep saying it. Our cities. Praise God. Uh, our, our nation in our world. Amen. Amen. So we, we're um, in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, volume three, session two today. And um, let's see what God has to say to us on today. Praise God. Last week, we introduced a new framework, a new way to think of idols that helps us to begin the process of understanding them. The better we understand them, the better we can deal with these three deep idols of control, significance, and comfort that is driving much of our behavior. Mastering and understanding that framework will really help us to begin identifying and understanding our own personal battles and then begin to fight them. I think an idol is anything in creation. It can be good or it can be bad, but it's inflated um, in your life to a place where it functions as God. It becomes more fundamental than God in your life for your own joy, your own meaning, your sense of purpose or value or worth. It can be a very good thing that you should love. It's just that you've loved it ultimately. 
in counseling situations and pastoral ministry, sometimes we'll have people come in with, with issues, and the only thing they're really concerned with is the behavior, is I've got this issue or this problem. I struggle with lust, or I struggle with greed, or I struggle with anger. You can fix that behavior, but it's just going to find another manifestation. It's going to come out another way. So you may be fixing one expression of behavior only to find yourself enslaved to another because you didn't really address what's underneath underneath it all. There are the things that are that are pretty much on the surface that we reach for, like food, overeating, or TV, or sex. There, there are things that men reach for that are quickly tangible. They're, they're very concrete things. And they can become addictions. But there's something under that, a deeper issue under that, a source idol, a deep idol. And those are the big idols that those other idols are simply in service to. There, there are a lot of things in our lives that are good things, good desires that I think are the Lord. They become idolatrous when they become excessive and controlling desires. When they become a thing that's driving our lives and ruling our hearts. Every decision is determined by a desire. And so if the ruling desire of my life is respect, it's going to impact all my decisions. And I think that's one of the great dangers of idolatry is what it costs you in the end. Relationships are lost over it. Uh, men give themselves to work more than they give themselves to God and the family. Uh, men give themselves to certain pursuits for their own sense of significance, own sense of worth and value, and lose so much along the way. We can come up with all sorts of formulas on how to break free from idolatry, but if it doesn't land on this, I want to pursue Jesus, I want to treasure Jesus, I want to know Jesus, I want to trust Jesus. I want to value Jesus more than anything else. That becomes the controlling passion of my heart. I never get free. I'll never get free from my idolatry. Now, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind is that one, Jesus died for your idolatry, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that if anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think the second thing to keep in mind, though, is that more than you want to be free from these idols, Jesus wants you to be free from these idols. And he, he doesn't desire your freedom in a sense of, I wish they'd just get over this. He desires your freedom because he loves you. And he looks at you and he knows what you're intended to be. He knows what he's created and saved you to become. And he has dreams and ambitions and passions for your life that can never be actualized when you're steeped in this idolatry. And so Jesus looks at you with compassion. He looks at you with promise. He looks at you with hope. And he says, I can free you from this. I can lead you into the life that I saved you to live. One of the things I love about the Bible is its brutal honesty. It talks about real men with real struggles. JB's going to come up and he's going to talk about one of those men now. Solomon, a man who had everything, pursued everything, and eventually came up empty. Hey, hey guys, just before uh, he goes on to here, let me let me just say that sometimes we fear Jesus. We fear, and what, what I mean by that is we think about what we're going to lose if we give all to Jesus, if we 
if we just commit totally to him. And I submit to you today that it's not about what you're going to lose, but it's what you're going to gain. So if the things that has had you bound and the things that has driven you hasn't produced in your life the things that you desire for it to produce, then you need to go to something. You, you got to do something different. You got to do something different. And, and, and the thing is, Jesus, he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so God only wants to give us abundant life. He wants to give us the best life. And if we if we are sick and tired of being sick and tired, if we want to make that decision, I mean, you know what? It, everything else really doesn't matter. You know, I'm just reminded when, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they saw Moses and, and uh, Elijah and Elias um, and they wanted to focus on that, on who else, but all they needed to see was Jesus. And I'm going to submit to you today, that's all you need to see is Jesus. And when you see him and you let him be the focus of your life, everything else will change. Will you have challenges? Yes, you will. But you don't have to go alone, right? Because Jesus has conquered everything that could ever hinder your life. Let's look at Solomon and what he has to say. Welcome back, men. In the first session, we got exposed to some categories and ways of thinking that may be new to you. And primarily, we introduced the idea that manhood traps and sin have a deeper source within us rather than simply being surface actions and external decisions that we make. We unveiled a more robust term for our sin, and that term was idolatry. As we discussed, idols are God substitutes. As one pastor has said, idols are good things that when we make them the greatest things, they become sinful things. Idols are anything we look to other than God for our ultimate meaning, validation, hope, happiness, and purpose. We talked about the deep idols of control, significance, and comfort, and how life change and true transformation will not happen until we can learn to identify and deal with those roots of our sin. Or said another way, until we learn to deal with the sin beneath the sin, those deep idols that feed, motivate, encourage, and fuel our behaviors. You'll remember that we talked about the deep idol of control and how it can reveal itself in the pursuit of security or power, or how the deep idol of comfort will drive us to ease or consumption. We also talked about the deep idol of significance and how it can enslave us to approval issues or the lust for recognition. The Bible gives us a warning that idols are like broken cisterns that cannot satisfy. In the book of Jeremiah, the Lord declares, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that don't hold water. 
Idols are a lot like broken cisterns. They always overpromise and underdeliver. They lure us away from the best that God has for us. Authentic men are men who are regularly identifying and throwing down idols and broken cisterns so that they can pursue and experience the abundant life in Christ. The authentic man is a repenting man, a man continually engaging and identifying and repenting of idolatry. In this volume, we begin to unfold how you can do that, how you can be on the road to God's best for your life. Now, idols are nothing new. The temptation for us to shun the banquet table that God has set for us and choose instead to rake in mud puddles goes all the way back to the first man, Adam. Adam, along with every other man we read about in Scripture, struggled with temptations and the false lure of idols. In this session, as we continue gaining perspective on our idols, we're going to look back at the struggles of three men from the Bible, Adam, Solomon, and Paul. All three men are central figures in Scripture, and the false lure of idols was a big part of their lives. A glimpse into their story will help us get some encouragement and insights for our own battles. Their stories provide us with a broader perspective of idols, demonstrate that all idols are really just broken cisterns, and remind us that we're not alone in this battle. We'll begin by looking way back at the first man of the Bible, Adam. Now, we've covered a lot of details about the life of Adam and his passivity in other volumes of 33. But it's also helpful to see that mankind has been battling idols from the very beginning. And the first man, Adam, didn't do so well against them. You see, Adam and Eve believed the original lie. They were duped. That original lie is the foundational lie for all idols. And here it is, that we must go around God and away from God rather than to God to meet the deepest needs in our life. It's the lie that real life, real hope, real purpose, real happiness, validation, everything we want in life comes from things other than God. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we read how God placed Adam and Eve in a paradise and made all things for them to enjoy. There was beauty and order and a perfect relationship between God and man, man and woman, and mankind and all creation. God also gave Adam and Eve one command, one command with basically two parts. Enjoy all that I've created. Don't eat from that one tree. Then Satan, the great liar, enters the scene. Satan starts to speak to them and he convinces them that God telling them to stay away from that one tree was God suppressing them. Satan got them to believe that God was not good, did not love them, did not have their best interest in mind, and that God was somehow holding out on them, lying to them, withholding from them. In Genesis 3.1, Satan is called crafty, just like idols. Idols are crafty. Just like we've been learning, idolatry is built on lies. Adam and Eve in this original fall of man believed lies. We watched in this one scene as Satan appeals to all three of the deep idols. When Satan says in Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. He's basically saying to Adam and Eve, hey, take matters into your own hand if you want to really be happy. And he's appealing to the deep idols of control and significance. And when Adam and Eve perceived the fruit in Genesis 3, 6 as being a delight, we see there an appeal to the idol of comfort. 
They believed that what God had said was bad was actually good and would be good for them. And in that moment, that piece of fruit reflected the deep idol trifecta, control, significance, comfort. And they ate. Like all idols, this idol, the fruit, overpromised and did not deliver. Perfection became broken. That was day one of the sin-infested, sin-stained, sin-infected humanity that's been a reality for every man since, including you and me. Broken men in a broken world, trading in true fulfillment for lies that never ultimately delivered. The rest of the Bible, and for that matter, all of history, tell the same story over and over and over and over and over again. In our first volume of 33, we talk about how all men walk either in the shadow of the first Adam or in the light of the second Adam, Jesus. Here we're learning that we can either follow God's noble pathways, walking in the light, enjoying the life as the way he designed it, or Satan's shadow pathways, believing the lies offered by the deep idols of control, significance, and comfort, believing that there's a better way than what God's provided. Another story, one that I found most helpful in my own life dealing with idols, is that of Solomon. It's recorded for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. That entire book provides for us an incredible case study as we look at men and idols in the Bible. It's the journal of one man, Solomon, who documents his intense all-out pursuit of happiness in broken cisterns that don't hold water. Solomon's story provides a pursuit of life away from God in high definition. Here's what you got to know about Solomon. As one of the wealthiest kings in history, he had the ability to finance and actualize his grandest dreams, dreams that exist only in the form of idle fantasies for the rest of us. And yet at the end of all his pursuits, he came to the same conclusion. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that you and I are better off chasing the wind. How sobering is that? So let's take a look at the idle fantasies that Solomon pursued. Attempts at happiness outside and away from God. I find this list of pursuits eerily personal. In my own journey, a big part of me wants to pursue exactly what Solomon pursued. Notice as well as we go through these that in each of these, Solomon is self-aware enough to realize that in his own heart, there's something deep within him that wants these things. The first place Solomon looked for life was in wisdom and knowledge. Here's what he said. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He wants to control life by acquiring knowledge and trusting in what he has learned. In our modern context, it would have been searching for life in degrees and in intellectually knowing more than others. God has gifted some of us with minds that synthesize information quickly or forget information slowly. And it is so easy to start to believe that the smartest, most well-read, well-degreed people are the happiest and wisest people. The default for some of us is that if I can simply learn more about something, be on top of things intellectually, or at least be in the know more than most, then my heart will be full, my soul satisfied, my life respected, my future protected. That pursuit ended for Solomon just like it'll end for us. Listen to what Solomon concluded. I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all of those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom, and yet madness and folly came. I perceive that this also is but striving after the wind. 
See, the knowledge idol, overpromised and underdelivered for Solomon. It proved to be a broken cistern, so Solomon turned to something else. He turned to pleasure. Pleasure and parties and leisure. The same promises that a spring break beach party offers or being a ski bum or beach bum, except times a thousand. Solomon said in his heart, come, now I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. And boy, did Solomon go after those comforts with a vigor. He had a virtually unlimited bank account at his disposal, countless servants and concubines. It's not hard to imagine him throwing massive parties that would have made a night of drunkenness or a weekend bender in Vegas look like nothing. Massive parties, but guess what? No joy. Fleeting happiness. All he found was vanity. We can all think this way, can't we? I know I can. So tempted to believe that escaping life and responsibility and giving ourselves to parties and leisures would be the ultimate utopia. Yet like Solomon, we find that parties and leisures do not satisfy our soul. Solomon then turned to the comfort and escape of alcohol. He said, I searched my heart with how to cheer my body with wine. Excessive alcohol. And in the same way, drugs and stimulants, it's a common trap for men today. It was a common trap for men in the Bible. It's fueled by a man who wants comfort and immediate gratification, temporary relief or a buffer between himself and the stress of everyday life. Drunkenness is a sin in the Bible. Solomon found it not to be a solution for his happiness either. Thousands of men turned to alcohol to escape reality, to numb pain, to medicate, rather than courageously deal with their problems. According to one recent study, 43% of men engaged in binge drinking in the past year. Now, binge drinking is defined as having at least five drinks within two hours. You see, excessive alcohol gives the temporary illusion of all being right in a man's life but it never solves problems. It simply delays the inevitable and compounds a man's problems. There's no life there. It's a broken cistern. It's playing in the mud. Solomon found that out and he moved on elsewhere to look for life. When his hope and knowledge, pleasure and alcohol ended up in vanity, he turned to building things and accomplishments. He said it this way, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. Can you relate? Not to building gardens and parks, but in looking to our accomplishments as one source of ultimate fulfillment. Boy, I sure can. Solomon didn't just put his hope and identity in the significance idols of a house. He built houses, mansions, plural, along with gardens and parks. The man had his own parks. Now, I know some wealthy men. I personally don't know anybody who owns a park or multiple parks. I'm sure you're beginning to see Solomon continuing to worship at these altars of control, significance, and comfort. The object of his pursuits may change, but what he's looking for stays exactly the same. And he found no solace, no peace, no ultimate fulfillment in any of them. Next, he pursued wealth. His amassing of wealth only left him more frustrated along the way. He says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Like the millions of men since Solomon who've put their hope and trust in their checkbook or investment portfolio, Solomon found that pursuit to be vain. Solomon was one of the wealthiest men to ever live. 
He had more gold, more wealth than any of us, and ultimately found out it would do nothing to him more than chasing the wind. And of course, you knew it was coming. Solomon tried sex, lots and lots and lots of sex. Now, some of you men have been very promiscuous. Some of you men are still trying to find your ultimate fulfillment through sex, whether it's through sexual conquest or the pretend ugly world of pornography. Listen to this. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women. Let that sink in for a second. All vanity. A thousand women will not satisfy. And I can promise you, with his level of money and power, those weren't ugly women who made their way into his castles. Think Playboy Mansion. And in the end, all vanity, he says. Those root idols of control, significance, and comfort can drive us sexually like they did Solomon to find approval, lust, gratification, and the forbidden fruit of women outside of marriage. It's all a lie. He keeps trying to satisfy those deep idols. Next, he talks about work and concludes that work can't satisfy the deepest needs of a man's soul either. Here's the reality. Men are made to work. Work is good and honorable. It's one of the noble pathways. In fact, the Bible calls it a sin for an able man not to work and provide. But we as men are not our work. Solomon said, I hated my toil in which I toiled under the sun. He found out what you have already discovered or will discover if you seek control and significance from work. It will not satisfy. Work, like all idols, make for terrible gods. Another broken cistern. Well, as you can see, Solomon is a powerful biography for all of us to learn from. A powerful case study. It's an entire book of attempts by a man who could have had anything he wanted trying to find real life apart from God, and each attempt ends in remorse and repentance. Every area he confesses is an area that every man has tried or wants to try. Every cistern we hope will hold water doesn't apart from God. There's another biography that's found in the New Testament that is helpful for us as well. It adds another broken cistern to Solomon's list. The Apostle Paul is a big figure in the Bible. I mention Paul because what brought him control and significance, at least in the first part of his life, led him to a familiar but in some ways often overlooked idol, the idol of self-righteousness. That may be a surprising idol that some of us have never thought about. I can try to control my life or find significance in being good, in being moral, in being self-righteous. Listen, as Paul lays out an impressive self-righteous resume, which in his day would have placed him among the who's who of the religious elite. It's found in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7. Here's what Paul said. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Religiously, Paul had it all. But listen to what he says next. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul was worshiping idols and they manifested themselves in hyper-religious behavior and activities that in his words 
were in reality merely rubbish. For some of you, this is your story. You may have grown up in a Christian home or gone to a Christian school or Christian camps or been doing church for a long time, but idols are what are driving you. And your deep idols of control and significance manifest themselves in religious discipline or duty or more church. Rubbish. It's just another broken cistern. Control, <clears throat> comfort, significance. All idols that left unchecked will drive all of us and show up as manhood traps. We've seen in this session that the Bible adds to our perspective on the human race's long-standing battle with idols by unveiling some honest glimpses into the lives of men. We see them in different generations, wrestling and struggling and falling into the same traps that we do, believing the same lies, pursuing the same idols, and the same is true with other men in Scripture. Whether it's Abraham or Samson or David or the apostles, idols crop up in their lives and they must be rooted out. It's helpful to see as a man, you're not alone. Your struggles and my struggles are not original or unique. It's so helpful to see humanity, brokenness, and neediness throughout the entire Bible. It's helpful to see the story of other men and their struggles and to learn from their mistakes. As we close this session out, let's remember that knowledge, pleasure, alcohol, accomplishment, wealth, sex, work, attention to righteousness, all good things that can become sinful things if we make them the main thing. Remember the punchlines that Solomon uses for us to describe all these pursuits. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Or pursuing these idols is like chasing the wind. You know how Solomon ends the book of Ecclesiastes? It's a great place for us to end this session. Solomon says, enjoy life, don't worship life. Instead, worship God and do what he says. <clears throat> I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to have a nice car like he had a private jet to, to fly on when we went on vacation. I wanted to be able to bless people like he did. I wanted to be respected like he was. Uh, I saw my father occasionally. He was busy building waste management at the time. His life was uh, filled with hard work, with travel, with interesting people. He had a certain amount of power. It was a life that, that seemed exciting to me. I made an incredible amount of money working with Wayne Sr. there. I began to have wealth, to fly, to have a nice sport fishing yacht, to live in a big home, to have an incredible amount of disposable income. We owned three sports teams, we drank, we drank in excess, went to the kind of clubs that you didn't tell your mother that you went to. I commanded an audience, I said whatever came to my mind, whether it was to you or to your wife, self-focused, do what I want, and do that please me, no matter what that means. That was my life. An incredible banquet of all the things that the world had to offer, but just never getting full, never being satisfied, never being able to push away and say, okay, that's enough. Suddenly I was lost. Happy, but unfulfilled. Something was missing.
Well, I got a call from a couple friends and they said, hey, Junior, we got a chance to go on a nuclear submarine for three days and cruise from South Carolina to Florida. Do you want to go? I said, done. We're there. We'll take our plane. And I was introduced to Captain Brad Fleetwood McDonald. We became incredible friends. He took me on his submarine, so I started taking him out of my fishing boat. And I began to ask him questions about leadership. I thought, who better than a man that commands 120 gentlemen underneath the ocean for six months at a time? And every time I asked him about leadership, he had his Bible. And he had this incredible piece about him that was unlike any that I'd ever seen in all the people that I had met through Wayne Sr. And one day I got up my courage and I asked him, I said, You're Captain Brad, why are we so different? Junior, he said, you have a hole in your heart. It's consuming everything that you're trying to put in. Everything you do is trying to fill that hole. And the only way you're going to fill that hole is with the relationship with God. Could that be it? Could it be that easy? All these things that I've been chasing, all these places that I'm going, a relationship with God. Well, I went home and I tried to find a church. The pastor gave an incredible sermon. And at the end, before he closed, said, do you think that there's a reason that God allows you to be born? Do you think that he has a plan for your life? felt like he was talking right at me instead of the 4,000 people that were there. I stood up out of my chair like I was launched out by springs, and I can still hear this voice inside of me that said, Junior, sit down. You look so silly. But there was no way. I made my way to the down the road to the aisle and forward to the front of this church that I'd never been to before, and I fell to my knees. And I began to cry. And I cried and I listened to that pastor. And he said, repeat the simple words and ask Jesus in your heart. And I did. I told Jesus that I was sorry, that I loved him, and that I wanted to know what this plan for my life was. I wanted to be in this personal relationship with him if he wanted to be in it with me. Power, not Junior's power, but God's power, the Holy Spirit's power, the power to change. I went home and I tried to explain to my wife what happened. She looked at me and she said, I don't know what happened, but I'm worried. She told me at one point that I'd been abducted by aliens. I didn't know what to tell her. All I knew is that I was indeed a different person. Success for me is that one day when I die, I'm gonna see Jesus. That he'll look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful son. I've been given such a gift based on the life that I lived, a second chance, a chance to follow Jesus, to go to heaven, to 
to live an eternal life. And I know for certain that I'm going to live in heaven. My father is the kind of individual that keeps his feelings very close, but I wasn't sure that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I got up the courage finally to lean over to my father and ask him, Hey, Dad, have you ever prayed a prayer like that and asked Jesus into your heart? is knowing that those that you love will make heaven. That's true success. I'm Wayne Heiser Jr. and I am saved. Well, guys, between uh, Adam, Solomon, and Paul, it gives us a pretty good picture of the dark side of our masculinity and the places we have a tendency to go. And that Solomon story there in Ecclesiastes, whew, that thing's big. Well, I know, and I'm glad we have it because, you know, we don't have to duplicate his mistakes and just kind of follow that pathway that leaves us hanging. When I think about that story, I think about this quote, idols or sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Right. Uh, when you think about Solomon's story, what, how does it impact you? How, what resonates with you? Yeah, for me, yeah, all of them. Uh, but you know, if I had, to, if I had to pick one or two, I would say, you know, really the wealth thing, especially for a guy in my season of life. I mean, do I have enough to carry me through, you know, the rest of my life? And I'm thinking if I had all of his resources, my tendency would be just to sit back and be useless for the rest of my life. Yeah. It really resonates with all of my heart. I mean, every one of those pursuits from stimulants to success to uh, women to sex to all of that, I feel like it's a reflection of my heart. I think it, it shows my, the propensity. It gives me language and helps me know as a man I'm not alone that Solomon had all those struggles. Just his story and his resources allow, allow him to actualize all those. Uh, but boy, it just makes me go, that, that man is me. That man is me. For me, it's, it's, I would say the lust and work would be the two strongest things that pull on my heart. Um, uh, uh, that somehow women or somehow money or accomplishment will really satisfy me and leaves me empty. Yeah, you know, I, I probably, for me, add knowledge to that because I want to be smarter than everybody else. You know, that'd be a big one. You know what we need, guys? We need, we need to know how to win this fight. I mean, we, we know there's a problem, but we need to know how to win. And so next session, I'm going to lay out a battle plan to show us how to win it. The battle plan, admit the struggle, identify the lie, and then replace with the truth. The lie that I was believing was that I could control my healing. Idolatry takes us down a road that just leads to dead ends. God and his noble pathways are ultimately more lasting and more fulfilling than any alternative. We must battle well. And his word is the key to the battle. Praise the Lord, guys. Praise the Lord. Uh, truly, that was a, a blessing. Um, and we, th we really thank God for um, taking a glimpse into Adam's life and and looking into um, the life of Solomon 
and even Paul. And so um, this, this has been truly enlightening when we realize, hey, the stuff that we go through as men, it, we're not alone in this battle. We're, we've been fighting, we've been um, seeing some things that crop up in our lives and we really don't understand why we are driven the way we are driven, but God is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And if we're wanting to rid ourselves of these idle pursuits, we must, we must go to Jesus. We must um, look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith to get satisfaction, to get fulfillment, to, to get to the place where God is number one in our lives and we are driven by his cause, his purpose. He's fueling our fire to be different, to be better, to be world changers. This is just Antoine. I'm glad you had this time to share with me today what God is doing uh, in the midst of men, in the center of men's lives to make us better. I'll see you at the top. Bye for now.